Amen. We're going to continue to worship, and we're going to we're going to do that now um, by reading this uh, week's gospel reading from the Gospel of of Mark. Um, it will come up on the screen. Um, so let's read that now together. Mark chapter one, verses nine to fifteen. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he came, he saw the heavens torn open and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts and the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Here ends the reading for this week. Just want to say a big thank you to Matt, Caitlin and Chris for leading us so so beautifully this morning in those songs of worship. Um, we're in the season of Lent, and um, 40 days, as, as you know, Lent leads us in a, in a reflection upon the very central meaning of our faith, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and which we've been singing about this morning, the cross and the resurrection, where we've been called out of death and into life through Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, and that this is good news, that this is good news, that this is the good news of God, the gospel. The, the world is being remade around this axis of love. Um, and I've, we've been saying this every week, and I'd love to say it again, that Lent, as we know, intersects with our lives in a very unique way this year. And our prayer has been in this Lenten season that, that Lent would be a season that would prepare us um, for life, prepare the soil of our hearts so that life will spring forth in us. That's what the word Lent actually means, to spring forth. And so we just, uh, that is our prayer, that life would spring forth in us as we journey towards the cross, that God would meet us in the struggles that we have today that, and that we would allow the Spirit of God to carve us open, to create space in us, to prepare um, for all that is to come, to be able to grieve, to be able to repent, to be able to refocus on um, our, 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 our faith and our relationship with Christ. Um, and as we struggle with Jesus towards Easter, towards his death, that we might find solidarity with Christ. And as I say, that the ground of our hearts would be prepared for that springing forth of, of resurrection, life, freedom, healing, and hope. That's been our prayer, and we've been in this uh, new series, this teaching series called Encounters with Jesus, a Lenten journey towards Easter. And to begin it, we started with um, a three-week look at this incredible um, and very significant moment in Jesus' life, which came in the form of his temptation in the wilderness, this defining scene in the origin story of Jesus. Um, we were reading about it just there, that Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan, and then he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days of prayer and fasting. Rugged, arid wilderness, pushing him to the limit. 
And why was that? Well, it's because he was preparing to launch his ministry. He was preparing to launch his mission. And his mission would be to bring the good news of the kingdom of God, to preach that the kingdom of God is in fact near. Um, that time in, that the Hebrew prophets had spoken of and had promised where God's rule, God's rule and reign would come to earth as it is in heaven, that heaven would fall down. That was the, the song that we were singing this morning. Now it's essentially a prayer to say that, that God's rule and God's reign would come to earth just as it is in heaven. The Lord's prayer are just as it is in heaven. That was um, uh, what the Hebrew prophets had promised and had prophesied and had hoped for. And this was Jesus' mission to bring heaven to earth, to inaugurate this new rule of God, the restoration of all things beginning with him. And so he was at this point in his ministry where that was about to be launched before he could do that, he was led into the wilderness for 40 days for a kind of scrutiny, a kind of checkpoint, just to check and to see whether he was ready for this mission. You can imagine Jesus contemplating this. This is the thing he feels called to. This is, he has received the affirmation of the Father, beloved, you're my beloved in whom I am well pleased. And now he's contemplating, how do I do this? How do I bring the ministry, the mission of God and his kingdom, and his gospel to earth. How do I do that? How do I, how do I go about this mission? And so we've looked at that. Um, the first, it came in the form of these, these, this, this time in the wilderness, 40 days in the wilderness, and Jesus experiences these three temptations by the devil or the tempter. And um, the three temptations, we've, we've looked at two of them already. The three were bread, circus, an empire. Those were the three temptations of Jesus uh, that, that came to Jesus. Those are the words that I'm using to describe those. Two weeks ago, we looked at, at bread, that the devil tempted Jesus. You're hungry, Jesus, we turn these stones to bread. And Jesus knew this was a temptation to meet material needs and desires rather than to trust on the word of God, the story of God for all that he needed. Uh, and this is what Jesus shows us is important, to nourish our souls and our spiritual hunger on the word of God, to fulfill us not on the material provisions around us. Last week, we looked at the second temptation, which was, I'm calling that circus, the resistance that Jesus had to the temptation to, to wow, to titillate, to entertain, to bring impressive spectacle and to perform a great spectacle to impress people. Jesus saw that that was a temptation, and that's not the way that God operates, so that God's kingdom comes. In fact, the, God, the kingdom of God is small and slow and quiet, like a mustard seed, like yeast in bread, like the spirit that indwells us. And so Jesus knew this was a temptation to go about his mission in a particular way that was not indeed God's way, not indeed the way of the kingdom. And Jesus knew he came to liberate and to lead us into real relationship in the very depths of our soul, not shallow religion, not shallow spectacle, but deep relationship. And so today we're, we're looking at the third and final temptation um, of Jesus. I'm going to just read very quickly from Matthew, just the, the specifics around the third temptation. The third temptation on how he might bring his kingdom mission 
Um, this was it. This was the time to, to step up for Jesus, time to become Messiah, to take the stage and to take the lead. And in verse 8 of Matthew 4, it says this, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the, of the world and their glory. And he said to them, and he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So in this final temptation, the devil takes Jesus to this really high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms, all the empires of the world, Egypt, Syria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, all the empires and the kingdoms of the world presented before Jesus in a kind of vision. And the devil invites Jesus, if you will bow down and worship me, Jesus, you will have all these kingdoms, all of them. And the devil insisted that these were kingdoms that he was able to give away, that he was able to give these to Jesus, that Jesus would be the recipient of this instantly, if only he would bow down. Was Jesus tempted? Of course he was tempted. He was tempted in a real way. He was tempted by the satanic lure to, to seize the world by force, by by power by empire to, to fulfill his mission the mission of God to bring the rule and reign of God by force by domination by empire you could say that uh, satanic worship is selling your soul for the sake of power this is what Brian Zahn says about the encounter he says this what could Jesus have accomplished if he had said if he had the same path to kingship as the pharaohs and Caesar and even the Israelite kings of old? Could he have raised an army? Could he have become a great general? Could he uh, have been the second coming of Joshua or David? This is what people expected Messiah to be and to do. Could Jesus have led an Israelite army into victorious battle and liberate the Jewish people from Roman oppression? Could Jesus have taken up the sword against Israel's enemies and beat them fine and dust before the wind? No doubt Jesus was capable of all this and more. Could the miracle worker of Nazareth have led an army to march upon Rome, overthrow Caesar, and install himself as the new emperor of a new empire? Who could doubt that Jesus was capable of all this? If Alexander the Great could accomplish, could conquer the world by the time he was 33, surely Jesus of Nazareth could. Of course, there would be a crucial difference. The motive would always be to achieve righteousness, to achieve justice, but it would not be the way of God. That's when Jesus saw the temptation for what it was, a temptation to bow down to Satan. So Jesus thundered his reply, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Here's the thing that we can see in this story this morning, that if Jesus had grabbed a ring of power, it would have corrupted him, even him. Was Jesus giving up his mission to save the world? No, not at all. He was to go on to be Messiah, Savior, Liberator, 
but it was not by the sword, but by the cross. Later on, Jesus suggests that his path is leading him to crucifixion. And one of his disciples, Peter, rebukes Jesus in a sense for, for not fighting back, for not taking the kingdom by force. Jesus' reply to Peter was instantly, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. These are really strong words from Jesus. And again, in the garden, on the night before he was arrested and the night before he was betrayed, there was an opportunity to take up the sword. In fact, one of the disciples did take up the sword and cut the ear from one of the soldiers that had come to arrest Jesus. And, and Jesus instantly stopped them and then he healed the ear of the soldier. Here is the bottom line that we can read and understand from this third temptation of empire. The bottom line is that Jesus resisted the dark temptation to build his kingdom around the enticement of power, force, violence, or the sword. It seems to me that the world over and over and over again has an idea about how you can rule and reign. The same idea about how the world is transformed. As empires rise and fall, we see the same idea played out over and over and over, that the revolution comes by might, by, by force, by power. And it's an unending cycle. It's as if we don't learn the lesson. And it's evident right up to today, right through the 20th century, world wars, right up to even today. Power, domination, force, whether that's political power, military power, this is the way of the world to grab power, to build it bigger, to build it better, to build it stronger, to win, to dominate, to take by force and to rule in that way. And here's the thing about, about that. This is a tempting lure. This is a temptation, not just for those trying to rule the world, but perhaps for all of us trying to rule our little patch of the world, to give in to force, to give in to power, to give in to domination, to, to, to grab the power where it is, to use power for our own ends. Even the church has been guilty of this. At many times, the church has failed and it has grabbed power. It has succumbed to power, whether that's out of fear or whether that's out of lust for power. Many in the name of Christ have, have thought the world would be changed if we could control the laws of the land, if we could control the minds of our people, if we could enforce policy, if we could police behavior. What price would you pay to gain the ultimate prize? Where in our lives do we seek to use power, exercise force? Where have we bought the lie that the kingdom should come by power and force? Where have our souls conspired in taking shortcuts to, to grab power? Here is uh, what Peter Greenslade says, meditating on this, even about the world of sport. He says this, who would not sell his own soul to the devil reflects 
uh, sports journalist Simon Barnes, if only the prize was big enough. If the prize was said to be the fastest man in the world, Barnes notes that of the five past five Olympic 100-meter champions, from Ben Johnson to Warren Gatlin, three have been convicted of taking performance-enhancing drugs. This goes to for sprinters holding the women's world record. Did they regard the prize as worth the price they paid? Ponders Barnes, perhaps even now in disgrace, Johnson thinks so. He knew, at least for a day, what it was to be king. The devil came to collect his side of the deal and did so without compunction. But perhaps it was worth it to be the greatest of them all. The king of the world, conqueror of conquerors. Why do they do it? Does the momentary fame of winning a race and standing on the podium three feet above mere mortals outweigh the ignominy and... Uh, the shame of losing your name and foregoing a destiny at every level of human ambition. It is tempting to sell your soul to gain the whole world. But was it a temptation when presented in its ultimate guise to be king of the world that Jesus firmly and decisively rejected? Why did he do so? Jesus' confrontation with evil centers on the way in which God's appointed king should rule, not by exploiting his power for selfish ends, not by turning stones into bread to feed himself, not by an act of self-provoting bravado and flinging himself off the pinnacle of the temple to, pro to prove his godliness, not by power to gain the whole world. At every point, Jesus rejects the temptation. Why? The primary answer is that Jesus is the representative figure who has come to succeed in faithful partnership with God where Israel and her kings have so conspicuously failed. In today's encounter with Christ and throughout his whole life, we see that power and domination and force is not the way of God, which begs the question, what is the way of God? The way of God is love. The way of God is love, and love alone is credible. And this power of love is what ultimately changes the world. That is what we see in and through the story of God, in and through the life and death of Christ, that love is the way. Here's what Bishop Michael Curry says. Someone once said that Jesus began the most revolutionary movement in human history, a movement grounded in the unconditional love of God for the whole world, and a movement mandating people to live that love, and in doing so, change not only their lives, but the very life of the world itself. I'm talking about power, real power, power to change the world. It's a beautiful a beautiful quote. Here's another one from Dr. Martin Luther King. He said this, we must discover the power of love, the redemptive power of love. And when we do that, we will make of this old world a new world for love is the only way. It is love and not power, not force, not domination, not empire, that changes the world and changes hearts. It is love and the ultimate revelation of God's love is Christ 
on the cross as the manifest example of God's kindness, as the great sacrificial love of Christ is shown for all humanity, for you, for me, that we might come into the knowledge of this love, that we might see it displayed before our eyes, that we might be beckoned to the cross as we've been singing about this morning again and again to see the love of God on display. Not a love that grasps power, but a love that lays power down. Not a love that seizes by force, but a love that sacrifices. This is a deep, deep mystery. The deep mystery of the cross. And in that mystery, we encounter the greatest revelation of who God is. That God is love and his way is love. Here's what Brian Zahn says. For being disguised under the disfigurement of an ugly crucifixion and death, Christ upon the cross is paradoxically the clearest revelation of who God is. Basically, on the cross, with Jesus on the cross, we see the clearest picture of God and who God is. That he is a sacrificial, self-sacrificial, loving God who lays down his life for us. Here's some things that the cross is. The cross is the pinnacle of God's self-disclosure. It's divine solidarity with all human suffering. It's the shaming of the principalities and powers. It's the point from which the Satan is driven out of the world. It's the death by which Christ conquers death. It's the eternal moment in which the sin of the world is forgiven. It's the abolition of war and violence. And it is the supreme demonstration of the love of God. It is the refounding of the world around an axis of love. It is the enduring model of co-suffering love that we, as Christ followers, are to follow. The cross is the way of God, not empire, not, not empire, not domination, not force, not by the sword, but by the way of love. And the way that Jesus, the Christ, chooses this way. He rejects all the temptations that came before him in the wilderness to bring God's rule and God's reign to earth through meeting material needs, through performing and impressing through shallow spectacle and through ruling through, por- through force and power. Jesus rejects all of these ways and instead he chooses the way of love, the way of humbling himself and giving up his life. This is a beautiful faithfulness that is shown in the wilderness by Jesus. It is a beautiful faithfulness that Jesus would subvert the world's power structures and that Jesus would bring the liberating, healing, messianic deliverance in a completely other way by humility, by meekness, by surrender, by subversion. The upside down kingdom of God is not established by power or coercion, but by the foolishness of the cross. And those that are willing to lay their lives down and follow the crucified and murdered king of the Jews, God's reordering of the world has begun. And this is good news This is what saves the world. This is why we follow Christ. He is our king. We do not perpetuate the same idea to take what we want by force. 
is a beautiful, beautiful way of love that we are invited into. And as we finish, as we finish this little meditation today upon the third temptation, as we finish this series, I just want to highlight just a little verse at the very, very end. Perhaps it'll, it'll come up on the screen from Mark chapter 1. It just says um, that once Jesus had con- commanded the tempter, Satan, um, to leave, he was then immediately attended to by angels. There's a beautiful picture here of victory in the kingdom with the divine ministry of heaven meeting Christ and ministering to Christ after he had given out all that he'd given out over 40 days in the wilderness and resisting these temptations. Here we see angels coming to minister to Jesus and to restore him. And so fortified by this victory, passing the test that that Israel and Israelite kings had failed before and with his mission ahead of him to usher in the kingdom of God, Jesus then leaves the wilderness and climbs a mountain and delivers his revolutionary way of love, his manifesto that we know as the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. This is the beginning of Jesus' mission and a new world was dawning when Jesus was not going to succumb to the power grab, but he was demonstrating a completely different way to change and transform the world. And this is good news for us, that Jesus faithfully passes the checkpoint, passes the test, passes the scrutiny, and he is the faithful one. And he gets right on the road to Easter to fulfill the mission of God. That is where we are in our journey towards Easter. And so for us today, as followers of Christ, this speaks to us as we follow the way of Christ and we lay down the temptation to try to take things by force, by power, to be tempted, to be seduced by that way of being and that way of operating. Instead, we operate with humility, with self-sacrifice, with surrender and with love. And in the same way, Jesus resisted the temptations to find his identity and story in mere materialism or spectacle or seeking power, so we in faith can resist the same temptations to define our stories and instead we can choose to worship the Lord our God, to trust in him in faith and to live out his way of love in the world. Amen. I trust that that is an encouragement to us, that that comes to us afresh as good news today, that we follow Christ as he leads us in this way of love. I want to finish by reading out this litany for resurrection progress, it's called. It's a meditation upon the way of Christ and the cross. And I hope that it helps just to sum up the series that we've been in, this little mini-series and the temptation of Christ in the wilderness. The words of this litany says this, Worthy are you, Christ, who was put to death by human hands. Worthy is the lamb who was slain, for you have allowed yourself to suffer for the sake of many, that we might have our eyes opened to the temptation of empire, the drug of toxic religion, the myth of violence begetting power, the temporary nature of death. You have identified yourself with suffering people, 
that we might see their suffering anew. You have felt the effects of violence and death that we may no longer seek their use. In shaming the powers of empire and toxic religion and violent means, you have gained victory over them by means of resurrection, of forgiveness, of acceptance, and of unconditional love. The work you have done on the cross in accepting death means all the more to us as a people who co-suffer with you. You escort us beyond death and into life. As we walk with you, scales of distortion fall from our eyes and we see you and humanity more compassionately. You have begun resurrection and we continue its progress on earth. We speak peace, carry the Spirit, and share forgiveness abundantly. As you have shared with us, we give thanks. Amen.